See, this, this is power. This voice, this is power. The only thing that separates women of color from anyone else is opportunity. The government has failed us. You can't deny that. Nobody's got leverage over me. My hands, it's a pipe bomb. Yes, yes, my people. This is episode three of the Outspoken Podcast. I am your host, Anna Tate, joined by my co-host. Just Naeem, guys. Welcome. Episode three of the podcast. Yeah, so you guys can call me Naeem. Like we've always said, episode three, guys. That's like his thing now. He's going to do that every single Every single week. one, I'm going to say it. And we're going to enjoy it. <laughs> and let's move on, my bro. Oh, we're going we're gonna to enjoy it. We're so going to enjoy You're forcing I'm our enforcing, audience to enjoy it. I'm you're enforcing. giving them no choice but exactly. to enjoy but it. I'm enforcing enjoyment well, what into their they, lives. What if they don't enjoy it? Well, then... Yeah. What is outspoken in it? So I'm outspoken That's what I about my name. Speechless. <laughs> he doesn't really know what to say about that. Last <laughs> week, people, last week we had the amazing opportunity of being joined by Patchy. Uh, yeah, the, discussion was, the discussion was incredible. We spoke about uh, youth culture, issues revolving around the youth, things that they're facing, uh, the difficulties they're dealing with on a daily basis, uh, racism against pe- uh, black males specifically, mm-hmm. as well as, well as um, stereotypes stereotypes and stigmatization and it was just an incredible discussion we really enjoyed having patchy on board and this week we have another amazing guest who do we have bro this person has been on two ted talks wow this person has created their own book with forever friends called the fly guide the fly guide to university wow yeah guys welcome Sahima Manzur Khan. <laughs> Hi, thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm just blown away that you said my name right. No, well, you got it right. Yeah, all right. And, and, he put, and he put a nice little, uh, nice little specific mention of it. Uh, the way he said it was in a particular way that was very uh, nice. Appreciate I like that. that. I like that. He doesn't normally say my name that nicely. That's oh, why I was yeah. moved okay. by that. Okay. So. <laughs> yeah, I call him Lee Arm. <laughs> um, it's great to have you on board. Um, thank you so here. much. Thank you so much for joining us on the Outspoken Podcast. Oh, I mean, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit. Yeah, about so you. I am Sahima. I online I go as the Brown Hijabi. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a blog, thebrownhijabi.com and generally what I do is write and speak and perform poetry about. <laughs> race, gender, Islamophobia, um, and trying to, I guess, raise awareness of like the politics behind so much of what is talked about in non-political ways. Yeah, um, yeah so that's, that's kind of what, I would say it's in a way like I'm an educator, I like to think. <laughs> no, I would agree. Um, from hearing your poetry and the discussions that you've had in these places such as TED Talk, which I'm going to ask you about right now. Um, I mean, how did it feel to be invited to a TED Talk? I mean, most people reach out and ask, you know, can I get on the TED Talk? But I mean, you were actually invited. How did that feel? Yeah, it was interesting. It was really weird because it makes you think that you must have something like it's this awkward thing of like, do I have something worthwhile saying? And I had previously pitched to Ted um, X, like at a uni or something. And they'd been like, yeah, you know, your idea is okay, but you know, not what we're looking for. Uh, whereas this time around, it was after I had done um, a poem at the Roundhouse Poetry Slam and um, it had gone kind of semi-viral. And I think these guys had seen it and they'd said, well, the topic of this um, TEDx is women, other theme. Um, and do you want to talk? And and the, I think the thing that was that I felt quite weird about was that you're supposed to be like an expert in something or the thing that you talk about Mm -hmm. and I was like just fresh out of uni and I was like what am I an expert in like I'm not you know but then I realised that the thing that I do know so much more about than people who often talk about it is being a Muslim woman and it was like you never like we're not ever seen as sources of knowledge ourselves about our experiences so you've got the media politicians everyone else talking about Muslim women um, but not us so my whole talk was about that and it was like you know everyone says they care about us and they're talking about forced marriage FGM hijab but they're not talking about our everyday realities Islamophobia racism sexism so so yeah and in the end it was it was really really exciting and like just I think quite I don't know it felt quite valuable to be able to do that in a in a public platform yeah that's amazing that's amazing I've listened to the TED talk myself mm. and I really enjoyed it I felt it was uh, very beneficial and I recommend very empowering that as well. yeah Thank I you. recommend everyone go and listen to that it's on YouTube um, not hard to find no. just type in Suhaima Mansur Khan and it should come up mm. um, how was the experience overall um, you know how were the audience how did they respond to what you were saying were they receptive or yeah it was interesting because I felt quite nervous that my message wasn't going to necessarily like land that well because it wasn't I was kind of 
asking the audience to confront their own prejudices, basically. Um, and it was interesting because I remember this, particularly I remember one woman at the end came up to me and she said, um, you know, to be honest with you, I felt really uncomfortable in your talk, um, but it really made me think. And I appreciated that much more than any like praise. Like if someone had been yeah. like, that was amazing because actually getting someone to be okay with confronting the possibility that they don't know something entirely in the way that they thought they knew it mm-hmm. is is the only space I think from which transformation is made possible because it's a space of possibility. It's mm-hmm. like, wow, I, I'm not sure about that. I made me feel weird. So it was this weird thing where I didn't get like this loads and loads of praise, but I, I actually more importantly for me, I think it was quite unsettling. And that's something I'm trying to embrace more and more is like not necessarily feeling the ego boost of like a big round of applause, but yeah. instead trying to like go, move somewhere with yeah, people. Yeah. There's a tackling those important issues, isn't it? I mean, it reminds me of uh, this book, um, mm. Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race. Um, the author of this book addresses things in a similar fashion regarding race. Um, and it's interesting to see how people are so unsettled, as you mentioned, by this discussion. Mm. She speaks about this quite thoroughly in the book and I haven't finished it, but I'm really enjoying it. I'm very, very much engrossed. Mm. Um, and it's one of those books where when you pick up and you start reading it you don't want to put it down I was having a conversation recently with a white colleague of mine um, who is actually reading the book and she said it's really interesting to delve into and discover some of these issues Mm. that exist that I had no clue about Um, and I don't want to put the book down when I'm on my way she's saying when I'm on my way to work I just want to continue reading (laughs) (laughs) because that's how interesting and intriguing it is and uh, it's very educational and like yourself it, that's what I feel I get when I listen to the things that you say what you Appreciate speak about that. and also through your poetry so um, for me I think you're winning yeah. <laughs> and Appreciate on the Outspoken that. podcast we only have winners <laughs> no I'm, I'm just kidding everyone's a winner everyone is a winner in some way or another but um yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about the fact that you performed on TED as well? I mean, uh, we mm. know you had the talk, but yeah. you also had a performance. What was that like and how did that come about? Yes, yeah, so actually, this was quite different. Um, this was like, uh, just through Poetry Connections, somebody said we're doing a TEDx. So it was particularly, it was TEDx Youth. So it was aimed at, I think, like under... 20 something um, and they were just like we to make it a bit more exciting it's talks but it's also like poems and um, like musical performances and stuff and it was in Birmingham and obviously it's quite like a big like Muslim population there and uh, I think they were just like it would be really nice to have like a relatable poet do something and so I thought quite like with that I felt like it had to be something again important but in a my, my interest this time was not to unsettle people, but actually to validate people. Because I think with young people, I'm much more interested in like saying, you are seen, I see you, yeah. Yeah. I, I believe you, um, and you have value. And so that was, it was, yeah, it was actually a very different experience. And, and in some ways, like a lot more moving for me because it was like creating a connection with young people in the audience who were like, thank you for that. Like you saw me. So that, yeah, it was very actually very different now I think about it. And well, someone actually came up to you and said that to you or was it? Yeah, because I was quite, the poem was about um, kind of like all the, again, it was about Muslim women, but in a very different way. And yeah. it was like the, the, that we should, the kind of all the multifaceted ways in which you can be a Muslim woman. But, in, you know, there's all these other people, politicians, media, other Muslims, mm. men mm. telling you how to be a Muslim woman. Mm. And so it was kind of just saying, no one, no one gets to decide that. Yeah. Um, and so I think it was, yeah, I remember quite a few girls were just like, like, I feel seen by that. And that, mm. that yeah, that means a lot to no, me. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. I imagine you get quite um, a good amount of Muslim girls coming up to you and asking you questions regarding your poetry. Do you get a lot of non-Muslim women coming over to you and asking you um, for a greater understanding behind what you're doing as well? Yeah, so I think, like you kind of suggested there, it's kind of a different type of question, less about, like, how can I... It's less advice and more like, as you say, understanding. So like, you know, I, I, I want to learn more about what you said there. Um, how, how can I find out more about that? And I think also trying to, for a lot of women um, who aren't Muslim and would sort of say that they're feminists, I think they're aware that maybe a lot of ways in which they're complicit in the oppression of Muslim women. So a lot of times they'll be trying to ask like, you know, how can I try and understand better my own prejudices and that kind of thing, which I respect. I respect that a lot. I respect that a lot as well. I think mm-hmm. it's good to acknowledge that these things exist as opposed to just trying to sweep them under the yeah. carpet. Um, and also I think being brave enough to, to realise it's not a moral issue. It's not like yeah. you're a bad person. It's like we've all been socialised yeah, yeah. and learnt all these things. So, and, and that, that's fine. That's incredible. I want to I wanna backtrack a little bit. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about the Roundhouse Poetry Slam. Mm. Did you win? 
No, I didn't win. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Somebody please explain this injustice. Okay. <laughs> That's really kind. No, I came second, but I really felt, honestly, because that moment, that poem for me was so monumental in my life that I honestly feel like it, I was the winner, like to yeah, myself. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because it was just like, since then, it gave me a platform um, for a lot of stuff that I was already writing, but it was like, oh, people think I have something important to say now. And it was just, I really did feel like... Um, it was it was meant to be. Do you know what I mean? I was like, that was the moment at which, I, honestly, it sounds so extra to say it, but it really changed my life because mm. it, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't done that poem. Yeah, yeah. Because I remember, I remember when it was going around because I remember some people were putting snippets and stuff up mm. on social media, on Instagram, and on Twitter and stuff like that as well. And when we when I saw it, when I saw it specifically, I think I saw it because it was on tw- twenty was twenty seventeen. Yeah, twenty seventeen, wasn't it? Yeah, twenty seventeen. When I when I saw it, I remember it just went it just went straight viral. And everyone was like, this this is it. She's she's saying what not she's, she's not saying like uh, what everyone wants to hear mm. yeah but she's saying what's real or a lot of people said saying what they felt exactly right? so it's that saying what people you know what I mean? want to say yeah, yeah exactly exactly it's like like when we talk about like the voice voice of the voiceless that's basically what it was like <laughs> like what you were saying what you were saying was some stuff that people were holding back mm. in the back of their head they just but because of the the society and stuff we live in right now they can't say it mm. yeah and because you said it they were just like whoa it was things I think it was something that needed to be addressed exactly mm. and you brought it to the forefront and uh, allowed other people to then start having discussions about mm-hmm. this or being more confident about delivering these messages through their own work mm. um, yeah, especially poetry that. I feel poetry is an amazing forum to express yourself and uh, deliver a message regarding a particular issue mm. um, that you feel strongly about yeah, it's, it's, like, it's like when you look it's like um, like today when you're listening to like a lecture or something mm. like that you can get lost easily right. yeah but when you listen to poetry mm. yeah it's it's like it has that rhythm and that flow with it mm. even though yeah. there's no music or anything like yeah. that in the background it's just, it's just the way it's the way the word the mm. words just play i think also because it's got that emotion to it exactly. right because actually exactly. and funny you say that because that poem i wrote at the same time that i was writing my uh, master's dissertation mm. obviously wow. like one person's gonna read that dissertation do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. but actually the message is exactly the same but yeah. so many people mm. could access that poem and because it had the emotional element they could relate to it yeah and i was like that dissertation is so dry you know what i mean like no one's gonna read that. <laughs> Whereas it, so I think it is it has a, it's a different type of power that's like you took your dissertation and turned it into a poem in a way in a way it's that's a similar amazing, message so, I didn't do it deliberately no, 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 but like, it's like you had you were writing this dissertation and you are going through it and then the idea just went yeah, from, yeah. from this you took it crushed it and you were like <laughs> condensed it down condensed it down in a way in a epic way. poem exactly <laughs> that's gone viral <laughs> just gonna have to write another dissertation to write a good poem <laughs> <laughs> masters yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> what, what, what are you studying? Uh, so I did. Po- uh, I did it in postcolonial studies. So wow. it sounds a bit rogue, um, but it's just like trying to understand the world as it is today and how that is linked to the histories of violence and oppression yeah. through colonialism. Deep. Yeah. Deep, deep stuff, man. Deep. deep stuff. I mean, I'm someone that speaks quite um, openly about oppression as well. Mm. A lot of my poetry, yeah. uh, the spaces I go into, um, I get different types of people coming over to me Muslim and non-Muslim and um, I get different responses uh, usually from Muslims I'll hear stuff like it's nice to hear someone being open enough to mm. speak about these issues um, and make us uh, make other people that are maybe not aware of them aware of mm. them um, and I get non-Muslims sometimes coming up to me and saying I really didn't know that mm. this issue was so prevalent so thank you for educating me on that and I think that is one of the beautiful things about poetry mm. and, and like you mentioned expression mm. um, when you feel strongly about something you can move people you mm. can touch people and that's why I love poetry yeah. to be no, I completely agree with that <laughs> um so last week we touched on prejudices facing young people. Um, we mainly spoke about stigma against young black males, yeah. um, the problems with stop and search and things of that nature. Um, this week I wanted to ask you, because you're someone that publicly addresses the negative impacts of stereotypes and stigmatization, what would you say to young people faced with prejudices that stem from race or religious identity? Mm. So I think that like, and the urge a lot of times uh, when you're faced with stereotypes is to disprove them and it's like to break them and to say I'm not what you think I am but actually my my advice would be don't waste your time doing that because I, I it's kind of like 
stereotypes aren't there to be broken they are there to break you and they actually will because they will limit you and yeah. the function i think what's more important than saying you know not all muslims are bad um, not all muslim women are oppressed is to say why does that idea even exist in the first place yeah. and so my advice would be take because the power comes back to you when you start questioning the stereotype instead and you say what is the function because what you find is that all these stereotypes actually have really political functions by which I mean so saying all Muslims are bad isn't just a mean thing it's not just like a disadvantaging Muslims it does all of that yeah but more than that it actually hides and obscures what causes violence like terrorism right so you just say oh it's because Muslims are bad and you don't have to say actually maybe the, the state has some accountability here maybe content of racial profiling, surveillance and foreign policy and all of that. And it's the same thing. So if you say Muslim women are oppressed, if I go, no, I'm not oppressed, actually much more powerful to say, why is it useful to you to think that I am oppressed? Yeah. What does that allow you to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it allows you to do a lot of stuff, turns out. Mm -hmm. So that my advice is that don't waste your time because also you give power to the stereotype when you, when you kind of give it that power over you to, to kind of spend your life trying to disprove it. That's not going to gain you humanity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because people play on those stereotypes, isn't it? And they use it as a means to prove like certain points when it when it came to like for example like Donald Trump mm -hmm. yeah when he said we want to ban all Muslims because yeah. because Muslims uh, are the root problem exactly. in America exactly and, we, and and everyone who supports him would like yeah that's that's right yeah 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 <laughs> that's the, I agree with that man because he said it it's yeah sheep mentality. exactly exactly it's that sheep mentality and when and when <laughs> when when sheep just start to follow when they just start to follow this is how it just spreads and, and mm. becomes this widespread spectrum of hate. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, because I think also the, the thing with stereotypes is that what you're just you're basically saying is because of the way that you look or the way you are, yeah. I'm gonna link you to a set of behaviors yeah. and characteristics. Yeah. And when you do that, you dehumanize. Yeah. Basically you say you are less human than me. Yeah. I'm and complex. they pre they prejudge. They look yeah, like exactly. so when they, for example, do you know one the one of the ones one of the stereotypes? All all, all black people are violent. Mm-hmm. That's something I mentioned in my poem. You, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. All black, all blacks are violent. That's actually that's actually the bar. Yeah, I have a poem called "Writers Block," and I say um, about the concept of all blacks being violent and all Muslims being terrorists. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. that's something that often is associated with black people in mm -hmm. gang crime. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that's in America and Britain, mm -hmm. um, and terrorism yeah. is associated with Muslims, despite yeah. the fact that uh, we get Caucasian individuals committing mm -hmm. acts of terrorism mm -hmm. and atrocities as well mm -hmm. um, it's crazy it's crazy the fact that we actually use these definitions of words and associate them to a certain collection of people exactly. rather than allowing it to just be mentioned for the act yeah. rather than the individual yeah. I mean if a person commits terrorism okay then that person can be deemed a terrorist but it's not because that person is following a certain methodology mm. or certain, you know what and, I mean yeah. they're following a certain religion yeah. um, but that's what they've attached it to though that's, you, that's literally yeah. what they attach it to. So when they when a white man does mm. a act of terrorism, is 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 because he's mentally challenged. Yeah, yeah, of course. But yeah. that's the thing because they're given individual humanity. Exactly. And and but I think the other thing with terrorism in particular is that like, it's not actually a word that is used to describe the act of violence. It's mm. used to describe whether we believe that person is human or not. Mm. Because we don't call governments terrorists when they drop yes. bombs because yes. we believe them to be made up of humans, and yeah. we don't call white men terrorists. But we call and and the same thing with like the way they talk about like knife violence in, in London I know you guys talked about this before but it's like that the language that you use and that's why words are so powerful and that's probably why we all enjoy poetry so because it's like you can say and re-narrate and control your story mm. yeah it's, it's amazing I'm actually currently reading um, through this book and I read the first story um, I can't remember the name of the author but he mentioned something exactly the same as that words are powerful he was talking about this whole idea of people speaking to him mm. um, and mentioning a phrase from his language without understanding mm. it. And he was saying language is important. Understanding lang language is important. Understanding difference is important rather than just assuming um, that you know something because someone mentioned it to you in passing. Yeah. Um, for example, he talks about uh, a restaurant. It has a name for something. I can't remember the specific name, but it means pants in his language. <laughs> but the restaurant has it as a part of the name of their restaurant because they believe it means spices. And he's like, no, it means pants. Oh, but wow. this person doesn't want to believe it. But obviously they didn't do any research. Yeah. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting thing it to is. bring up based on what you just mentioned. Um, words are powerful, so use your words wisely. You are listening to the Outspoken Podcast. Thank you for joining us, Suheima Mansour Khan. Next, I would like to ask you about poetry. Cool. Poetry, something that I love, something that I'm sure you love. 
tell us about why you started doing poetry. What influenced your decision to mm. become a spoken word artist? Okay, so I'm going to be quite real with you guys. Um, when I, as I've always enjoyed like watching slam poetry on like YouTube. I never really enjoyed like poetry at school. I was like that, to me, that seemed like a completely different thing. Um, but and I've always enjoyed writing for myself, just like for me, it was that was the best way I could express myself was just through writing. So, but I never shared it. It was just like diaries and stuff. And the reason I did spoken word poetry for the first time is because I was actually really depressed. And the um, person that I was getting advice from, she said to me, um, what you need to do is do something. Is there anything that you've always wanted to do, but you don't believe that you could do? And I was like, well, you know, I really enjoy watching these videos on YouTube. Um, but like, I, I couldn't do that. And she was like, that's what you're going to do. And so she, yeah, so she found this open mic night uh, and she was like, yeah, you have to go to this. And I was... The best friend. I know ever. she was, well, yeah, she, she was amazing. Very she, motivational she, individual. Yeah, she was just like, you have to, um, she like found the open mic night, gave me yeah. the thing and she was like, you don't have to tell anyone. So I didn't, I was like, top secret, like went on my own um, and I performed and loved it. I was like, this is, this is amazing. Mm. Um, and yeah, literally have been performing ever since. So it was, yeah, it's quite, it's quite a good story. It's like one of the few like good stories that I have about something like that. I think, I like, think we, why we I do need it. friends like that. <laughs> well, she was actually like, a, the like college, she was like the college counselor nurse ah, type person. Yes, so yes, she yes, knew, oh, she was giving like proper oh, advice. That's, that's like epic advice. I, I yeah. Think, I think, yeah, you need that. Not, man, not many like college counsellors do that. Like, yeah, yeah. Go, just go do it. Why, 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 yeah. why are you just why are you waiting? Back? Is that why mm. you holding back? It was definitely the push I needed. You get a certain buzz when you enter these poetry establishments as well mm. I, I don't i'm sure you feel it yeah and you i think like a sense of community that is is yeah, different yeah. somehow it, it's almost it, it's hard to explain if you haven't attended a spoken word show mm. um if you if you're listening guys um i advise that you attend one of these spoken word events wherever it is in your area wherever you live if you have the opportunity go down and listen to a collection of amazing poets just deliver messages regarding a whole plethora of different topics yeah and i'm telling you you will be blowing away mm. um so i'm gonna ask you a really really tough question okay. last week <laughs> last week our guest um it's more it's not really a question necessarily but i'm not gonna ask you for a list um last week our guest he found a way out of it patchy <laughs> we that's you yeah patchy yes patchy um <laughs> but this week we're not gonna let you get out of it yeah. we want cool, cool. you to list three poets mm -hmm. that you believe are underrated and deserving of more recognition Okay, um, so I don't know if this is like I, I don't. It's not that they're underrated. It's just that I think they should get even more recognition. Yeah. Um. So one is my housemate, um, uh, Amina Jamar, and she's a really yes. amazing poet, and her poetry is really really beautiful like the imagery is like uh, it's the kind of poetry when I listen to it I'm like I can't write like that that's just different that's just something that I can't do um, so yeah look her up she's got some stuff on YouTube um, the second one is um, my very close friend Jamal Mahmood and his stuff is very it's like it is very very beautiful it's very like story like and very um very like soft but emotional. I don't know why I'm describing. I don't know why I'm describing the poems, but yeah, nice. it's, really, it's, really nice. it's really really nice. Um, so yeah, look him up too. Uh, he has a book. He has a book, um, Little Boy Blue. Um, and then the third one. So I was trying to think about this. I was like, oh god. But I think because I think she should get more platforms. Um, Hodan Yusuf. So yeah, she does some really. She does some really just like very real stuff. And I think the reason I like her poetry is that she's just honest. And she just you know sometimes you're just like actually the. F Sometimes what the, the what's the way someone is saying something and what they're saying, the honesty just like surpasses everything else, the form, the content, yeah. the lyric. You're just like this is what you're saying. Neat. So yeah, mm. look her up too. Um, I think those are my those will be my three. Okay, those three. We need to check them out. Yeah, check we, them out. We definitely check them out. Just can you mention them one more time, just so our yeah, so, um, listeners yeah. can. Uh, so Amina Jamal, uh, Jamal Mahmood and Hodan Yusuf. Check them out, people. Check them out. They are on Instagram and Jamal. Jamal has got a book. Has a book. So little boy blue. blue yeah. Little yeah. boy blue. <laughs> so guys, do check it out and support support the poets, man. Support yeah, the poetry. Um, okay, I'm gonna let you ask this one <laughs> because this one, yeah. I've been I've been asking all the tough questions. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna let you ask this one because I think this is a really tough question. Let's do this then. So for just rhyme, oh, yeah, yeah for just rhyme. Yes, she already knows. She already knows. It's coming. She already sees it coming. She's like, oh, okay, this. Is good. I, I know what's coming here. It's gonna be a hard one. It's gonna be a hard one. <laughs> so who would you like to see headline just rhyme? 
<laughs> yes, yeah, so this is really hard because I feel like Just Rhyme is a, such a... I've only been to one one of the Just Rhyme nights, yeah. but it was such a specific night. Like, I, I really loved it. I really loved it. But that's why I'm like, how... I don't know who... I don't think I know the type of poets who I would advise to headline that because I think that... It's such a good mixture of like genuinely. I remember saying all the open mic quality was incredible. I was like, why is not all the open mics headliners? Yeah. <laughs> um, and also just like the, it was like both the lyric, the like the lyricism, but also the content and the emotion. So I'm just a bit like I don't I don't know who I know because I I feel like I listen to a lot of like, either like quite big slammy stuff mm. or quite like soft soft stuff. So but I don't know. I know you guys do a lot of. What I liked is that you all have quite a lot of storytelling. Yeah, um, yeah. In that sense, I would say, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe look into Jamal. I think you should look into Jamal. Yeah. Okay. His stuff is very different than some of the stuff that I've seen at Just Rhyme, but he yeah. is a storyteller. I would say. We won't be able to. The thing is, we won't like. We've just run, we want a mixture. Yeah, I get you. I get you. If the slam poetry, we appreciate all poetry. I get you. We want all poetry. I get you. Yeah, just rhymes it's all about getting those different craves, whatever whatever poetry they're trying to do. Yeah. With, with in, uh, any genre they're trying to do, and it's yeah. push out and see what kind of um what kind of they can what can they produce with their own art. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, exactly. I get you. Exactly. Yeah. And regarding just rhyme, one of the beautiful things that we've decided to implement this year going forward is um something called This Is Your Platform Guest. Okay. Um, and what that means is that every Just Rhyme event, we're going to allow our audience to choose who they would like to see headline the next Just Rhyme event from idea. the open micers. So whoever on the night is their favourite open micer mm. will in the future go on to headline a Just Rhyme event. For this first one that we've done this coming March 23rd, if you're available, please do come <laughs> down to Just Rhyme. Um, we have chosen as a team for the first one, uh, Faisal Nazir also known as a smiling act um, to be our platform guest he's a Just Rhyme veteran he's been to every Just Rhyme event and he's been incredible on the open mic yeah, delivered yeah. some really really thought provoking and profound poetry to be quite frankly honest um, and we also have his book on the table with Sahema right there as you can see do pick it up yeah. guys it's you're um, watching this smiling act we love you bro <laughs> he, he he only paid me uh, a little bit before the show but he didn't pay me <laughs> yo what's going on bro are you paying annotating not paying me he he told me to split it two ways but I decided I need the money so. <laughs> man I bought this guy digest, digestives in the morning bro he won't be digestives that I've not even had a chance to open yet so but. <laughs> okay okay you are listening to the Outspoken Podcast I'm your host Annotate joined by my co-host Naeem and we are sitting with Suhaima right now and we would like to know what inspired you to write a book with three friends. Good question. Uh, so three years ago, uh, I was with three of my friends and one of them. So we were all, we were all women of colour studying um, at Cambridge Uni and it was a very weird experience because it's a very white environment. It's a very privileged environment, very private schooled environment. Um, we had a lot of like difficulties with that in terms of like the way that other people, what people expect. We talked about stereotypes. It was like what people expected from us, who they expected us to be, whether that's lecturers, whether that's students, um, not really seeing ourselves reflected in the institution, not mm. feeling like we were fully seen. And so one, um, one of us, Delia, who's from the US actually, she said, you guys should write a book. And for some reason at that, at that time, uh, we were just like, yeah, why not? Because I think we were so heavily involved in just like you know raising consciousness on campus educating and doing campaigns and stuff that we were like this is of course we should write a book um but the weird thing is that we obviously didn't do anything with it we just sat on this like manuscript that we had for ages um and then after three years we like approached publisher they were like yeah this sounds cool and they published it and wow yeah alhamdulillah it was weird though because it was like we wrote this at such a specific time in our lives and yeah. if i wrote it now so it's kind of about like it's kind of analysing the situation of what it is to be a woman of colour in uh, higher education. And it's meant to be, t to my mind, it's the book I wish that I had had when I was 18 years old. Um, so it's like validating in that sense. But then on the other hand, it is educative. And I think if it's not your experience, that you should also read it because it's going to tell you what a lot of people are experiencing at, at, in the world that you're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important to be empathetic and be humans. Yeah. But, um, but yes, yeah, so it was very, very weird to have it published because we were like, if we wrote this now, it would probably be quite... We'd probably be a bit lot more nervous, I think, about like, oh, am I saying this right? Like, da -da. Whereas at that time we were just like, yeah, this is urgent, this is important, this is how we feel. Um, 
And so I think as, as like a testament to, to who we were when we were a little bit younger, we, it's, it's uh, something that I think is really meaningful for me that is out there because it, it gives meaning to those experiences that were really hard. And it's like, you know what, actually something really valuable has come out of this, hopefully. Yeah. So two additional questions. Mm. What's the book called? Yeah, great and question. who is the publisher? <laughs> so it's called A Fly Girl's Guide to University. And then it's got a colon. It's got a subtitle, which is Being a Woman of Colour at um, Institutions of Power and Elitism. Wow. Um, so that's the title. Publisher is Verve Poetry Press. So they have a website you can go on. So they, they mainly publish poetry. Um, but this is the first kind of book that they've published. And it's, oh, but it's a mixture of, it's got poems in it. Yeah. It's got memoirs. It's got kind of article type things. And it's just, it's, it's quite like easy yeah. read because it's a lot of short stuff. You guys sit down like you all sat down together and wrote it together or did you split no. up like yeah so uh, Delia kind of took charge with editing and she said why don't we all just write about six chapters um, and then if you have any poems anything else you want to throw in and the thing is she knew and because we all knew from our experiences that there were going to be so many themes that overlap yeah. so we all wrote our own stuff and then we just put it together into themes um, and it, it does actually make a lot it's very cohesive it's weirdly cohesive you're like oh this kind of does seem like we just spoke to each other and we're like what are you writing yeah I'll write that um but yeah, so it's, yeah, that's kind of how it works. And where, where can I grab this book? Because so, it sounds very interesting. Verve Poetry Press have a website uh, and you can get it online, basically. And if I'm doing any more book launches, I'll post it on my like Instagram, Twitter, etc. The Brown Hijabi. Um, and yeah, come to them and I'll be selling them yeah. like physically. Oh, so I want to ask, you know, the, because obviously Fly is like a separate. Right. Yeah. So, Fly, yeah, so it's called a Fly Girls Guide because Fly was the name of the group at at uni that was for um, women of colour. Mm, okay. And so it was set up by uh, four black women about two years before I got there. And yeah. they were just like, first off, they were just like, where like, where have you been? They were like, where I've not seen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so it was like a social space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but then I think they realised that actually like, it's weird that our experiences are so similar. Let's mm -hmm. do something about this. So by the time I got there, it was like for women of color in general. And it was, it was a very inherently political space because it was social and they, like they were my best friends in that space. But also everything we did was really political. It's like, you know, recently this word like organizer has been going around. I don't yeah. know if you see this, like people describe themselves as organizers. So I remember like a few years ago, I looked it up. So I was like, what is an organizer? <laughs> I was like, honestly, I was like, what are they organizing? And then I did though, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what like women of color have been doing always and people of colour and communities of colour just yeah. like you know trying to push for the best for their communities yeah, trying yeah. to raise awareness definitely. educate consciousness raise and I was like now it's cool to be an organiser but, but we were definitely doing that at uni and mm. I think it was just natural to being friends it was like of course we also need to make sure our experiences are, are valued in this institution so we're going to have to also like you know advocate for ourselves mm. um, so yeah that was what Fly was and that is what it's that's what we mean when we say a Fly Girls Guide to yeah, University and you recommend like everyone should just join it Definitely, if you're yeah, if you're at, uh, yeah, and if you if you're at a uni where there isn't yeah. really a space, a space or a safe is space, only, is it only at Cambridge? Yeah, because those four girls set it up. Yeah. But I, I mean, think they should introduce it everywhere though. I think definitely. Yeah, I think yeah. everywhere needs a fly. Um, like I was at, at arts uni the other day and um, talking to some students, and it was like you guys need this space because actually, I think you can feel so isolated and alienated mm. if you're just in your head on your own about it, and you're thinking. I remember just thinking a lot before I found fly like. It, was that racist or is that just me? Like, am I, am I, you know, do I deserve mm. to be here? Or like, am I, is everyone just cleverer than me? Well, yeah. actually it was just that everyone else is so much more confident because they've been told you deserve to be here. You go here, you're special. And you've been told the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I think find, find people because, and it goes back to the poems and everything we've been saying, really, I really believe that validating your experiences, finding somebody who says, I see you and I believe you is the first step to being able to like become free because yeah. you, you just, you can believe in yourself then. And I, I really do think that's a powerful thing. Mm -hmm. You're someone that has been, as you just mentioned, to an esteemed university such as Cambridge. Mm. What was your experience like? Uh, did you deal with any difficulties regarding that in terms of stereotypes and things of that yeah. nature? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is what I've been saying. Like it was, uh, I think we have to remember like why these places are seen as esteemed universities. And the reason that is seen as that is because it's exclusive and elite. Yeah. So it's like when people say, oh, that's a good neighborhood. What they mean is it's white and it's middle class. And th that's the same with this university, yeah. right? So what they mean is it's white and it's middle class. Yeah. And so <laughs> for me, it was, um, it was, obviously there were a lot of good parts and I, I, what I have to recognize is that I have gained a lot of social capital. So now that I leave, I can say, if. I can get access to certain spaces because people think, oh, you're a Cambridge graduate, you know, you did it. And I can't ignore that. But I think the, the onus is on me to disrupt the spaces I get into because of that social capital. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because on the yeah. other hand, my experience there 
was yeah very alienating um i think particularly because i so i grew up in leeds i went to a state school and it was very mixed racially and i just thought that was what the world was like i was like oh cool yeah this, this is normal and i arrived there and i was like they don't know and it, the, i think the big thing was people hadn't met people like me and so going back to the stereotype thing what they thought they knew about me was this whole set of assumptions that they had heard in the news, media, politicians, and that they just applied to me. So I never got to be individual first. I never got to be human. And it was the first time, honestly, I remember consciously realizing, oh, they're just seeing this girl who wears a headscarf who's brown. That's that's yeah. it. And I, I was like, oh, they, they don't know that I'm Sahima. They don't know anything about me. Yeah. And so I think that kind of dehumanization on a big scale um, was really, really hard. And partly why I was depressed and why I was having such a hard time. Yeah. And then on an institutional level, you know, I was doing history. The history I was learning was like, you know, I, I did the history of like immigration in Britain, but there was no immigrant women. Mm. The history of women in Britain was no immigrant women. You know, and it's like my history is a history of immigrant women. So how, like, where was I in, in that history? Um, the history of, I did a history of like, um, what was it like philosophy of the world or something? And it was like five, it was men from five European countries. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You're like, so, so what? There was no one had thoughts outside of Europe, outside mm. of men, you know? <laughs> and so it was a very, very skewed understanding of the past. But then when they reinforce that and you learn that and you take that in and you reproduce mm. it, mm. that's where the danger is because then Agreed. you reinforce the idea that those people aren't human. They have no history yeah. and they currently have no present either. Mm, I, agree, I agree. So yeah. I can somewhat relate to this idea of stereotypes at university. I mean, I didn't go to some uh, somewhere quite as esteemed as Thank uh, God, to Cambridge. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I attended uh, university, uh, London Metropolitan. Mm. And um, I remember myself and a couple of my classmates were from... I guess you could say in the eyes of the people that we mm. were there with, the ghetto. So mm. we uh, we came from areas where uh, things were difficult in terms of knife crime and, and things like that. And um, I remember us just being written off immediately from mm -hmm. the start. We were the outsiders. Nobody wanted to communicate with us. Nobody wanted to know us. Um, our work was seen, deemed to be... Uh, poor Inferior. even when it was similar to other people yeah. some, uh, some of our white counterparts had written for example there was one year we wrote um, a film concept well I wrote it and it um, focused on um, the idea of um, a woman becoming a, a Muslim, like mm. she just, and this was before I became Muslim mm. myself. So it was an it was the idea of a woman deciding to become Muslim after dealing with some difficulty um, in her life, and she found uh, that Islam was the right religion for her. And um, the people in my class were saying that it's problematic. Uh, people might perceive it in the wrong way. Um, you're trying to force this notion of Islam being better, and so on and so forth. And I wasn't even Muslim at the time. So I was just like, <laughs> I was thinking, but this guy, he has a similar idea about Christianity. But but because mm. I'm talking about, you know, Islam, mm -hmm. it's a problem. Um, and it was just always, they were always trying to undercut us. Uh, mm. A funny story I have actually, um, I stopped attending university by my third year. Obviously, I finished... <laughs> Um, but I had some real difficulties in my third year and I really wanted to go back and uh, mm. redo that year. Mm. I, I asked and they said no. But I had a friend of mine who faced similar difficulties. Mm. We had a really difficult third year, um, personal circumstances, and uh, he was allowed to go back. Mm. And uh, he said he was sitting in class one time and uh, one of our lecturers that had taught me and taught him mentioned me for some reason mm -hmm. I have no idea why he mentioned me and okay. my work and he was basically insulting me wow. and my friend said my friend actually stood up and he said look listen yeah I don't know what your problem is but Liam write stuff better than you <laughs> I've read <laughs> your stuff really I've seen friend. the stuff that you read I've watched some of your films this is the lecturer it, this is the lecturer and like my friend stood up to me and really said look I've seen some of the stuff you've written I've mm -hmm. seen some of the I've watched some of your films mm -hmm. and I'm telling you now Liam mm -hmm. write stuff better than you mm -hmm. so rather than insulting him you just need to leave it yeah. alone and um, I thought that was amazing I was blowing away mean. I was like oh, damn like somebody mm -hmm. actually just stood up in the university class and said straight That's to the so lecturer nice. look what are you mentioning mentioning my boy for mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying mm -hmm. um that's sick, I, man. 100%, 100%. That's sick. Your stuff is dead. Imagine that. Imagine that. Like, what? Your stuff ain't even that what? good. So what are you talking about? <laughs> he dumb. He dumb. But it does, it does reflect, like, you know, who, like, whose knowledge is seen as real knowledge and true and good and important. Because, like, I don't know, it's just making me think of, even when I came to the Just Rhyme event, I had, earlier that day, I'd been at this, uh, this thing, like, um, the what was it? It's it a playwriting course, and they were like, you know, plays are written by X, Y, Z, and it was obviously like mainly like quite middle class people. And the thing is, I was watching the, all these poets that just ran, and I was like 
these guys are all have all the capacity to be amazing storytellers. They are amazing storytellers. Mm. And I was like, but which BBC writer's room is going to come talk to them and be like, hey, you guys should write a script for us. And you know, it's that idea of like, you're or, as you say, you're already written off because of who you are, where you come yeah, from, whatever. Yeah. But then on the other hand as well, I feel like, I don't know, you tell me because it's your experience, but I feel like there's also this like weird fetishization of being like from the ghetto at uni. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we all want to like act like we're all poor and we all want to act like we're all from ends and we're all, you know, and it's like, I've seen that <laughs> I, I, at Cambridge, I think, at or Oxford, whatever, there was a, um, they had like a party and the theme was, oh, what was it? It was so bad. It was so bad. It was literally so bad. It was like, Ah, uh, I wish Sounds I could. It was like already. it was a, it was Romans and roadmen, and you can imagine, you can imagine. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, the Romans the, and roadmen. Yeah, so they were like dress up as Romans and roadmen. Obviously, everyone who dresses up as a roadman just intensely racist stereotypes. That was it. <laughs> oh. And so you're just like, wow. So you okay? But it's this thing of like, so we don't actually want you in our space, but we all want to pretend to be you in our space mm. at the same time. Yeah. Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of um, in America where they do that blackface. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Halloween, and they think it's okay exactly. to actually dress up they do that at Oxbridge and oh it disgusts me mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything that disgusts me as much as that mm-hmm. in these establishments I just think it's awful that any person could think that that's ever okay to yeah. do it's just the fact that they had to they have to justify it they have to say no but it's fine because of X, mm. Y, and Z. And we're just like, no, we... There's no justification. Talk, there's no justification mm. with that. None whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? And, wow, man, I can't believe it. Like, and they do that. They actually sometimes do it at Oxford as well. They, they had that. all sorts of mad parties. They had like yeah. something called the Oriental Express or something. And then they and they, they advertised. They were like, we're looking for um, East Asian students to just sort of stand around in the party. Yeah, they're just like, we should, wow. yeah, I'm serious. Wow. Yeah, wow. Because, so there's a huge, yeah, huge misunderstanding why is of. Why no talking of, about this? Well, that's the thing, we, and that's why we try to like yeah. really raise awareness about this. But exactly. it's really just seen as okay. At the end of the day, it's like, it is okay because you guys aren't human anyway. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, because then you have at the state level, the state also saying, well, you know, British values. That it, there's, a, there's a report where the government says, sorry, it's quite boring, but I think it's really interesting. The government says like in areas where there's high concentrations of ethnic minorities, they are less likely to um, develop British values. Mm. And the implication I is that- I have seen that video that you did. Um, right, okay, I think, okay. I, was, I remember when I, was, when I watched the video, when I was watching your TED talk, it came up. Right, 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 <laughs> so right. It came up with a suggested video and you did like a little, it was like a march and stuff, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think just because this, this is like, the point is that we think that Britishness is whiteness and yeah. it's innate only to white people but then so it's like so yeah someone at uni can be intensely racist because actually at the state level too it's the same idea it's Mm. like well yeah you're not really one of us and actually you're kind of not human and we kind of could deport you at any point and you kind of could be detained at any point Mm. so actually it's just like such a self it's like who are you gonna are you trying to raise awareness to the state they don't care Yeah. so it's I think that's when you realise that what happens at uni what happens at work what happens like it all has to we have to like work together to transform the whole of society it's not enough to just change your uni Mm. and that kind of thing please guys support Suhaima and her friends by picking up a copy of The Flag Girl's Guide to University. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing read. You are listening to The Outspoken Podcast and this is Content Junkie. Naeem, what are we talking about today? So guys, we're talking about a new film that's coming out on the 22nd of February called Cold Pursuit featuring... The guy a you certain know. Someone, a yeah, certain the, someone. The, the guy you, you guys all know. Someone's been taken from him one way or another. <laughs> it's either his daughter in every single film or his wife <laughs> or his this time it's his, apparently it's his, it's his son now next time it's gonna be his dog and mm, yeah. might be his gerbil next time we don't Do you know, know what I mean <laughs> something's and gonna be taken might be his toothbrush <laughs> might be his towel <laughs> <laughs> guys you already know who we're talking about Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson guys Liam, Liam Neeson um, I mean the trailer itself We'll start with that. We'll start with that discussion. Yeah, before so... Before we move on to something a little more deeper. <laughs> I know Naeem's itching to speak about it. Yeah, the trailer itself, um, just watch it. Obviously, it's, it's, it's just an action movie, isn't it? Yeah, it's just pure action. So, um, from, what I, from what I remember, from what I remember, it, all that happens is that um, you have you have Leonidas and someone get, he gets called up, he gets called up and um, someone tells him that there's something happened to your son. Mm. Yeah, something happened to your son and, and he finds his son and his son's dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes on. <laughs> it's because it's, it's it, he does it all the time. It's like someone like <laughs> it's like his his his, his son. Some like someone dies. Yeah, and it just it's just a whole movie about vengeance. Yeah, yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's not really much to talk about. Like I can talk about Taken and Taken and and I can talk about the the whole concept of Taken, and this will be exactly like yeah, it. I genuinely feel like we could box the all of his films in into one package and just say that they're all on the same. Exactly. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're all based on this idea. Like I remember of that there was some revenge. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So like when he was when he when it was that film where he was on an airplane. Do you know? I thought it was called. I haven't seen that one. There's one when he was on an airplane, and he's like um, somehow he knows martial arts and stuff, and uh, there's like uh, like these people that hijack the plane. <laughs> yeah, they hijack the plane, and he, sure. he's, he's, he's he's just fighting all these guys. Sure. Where, where, was it snakes that hijacked the plane? No, no, it's not. It's not. It's not that. It's not that. It's actually a movie where he's on the plane. I forgot. I forgot. Actually, forgot. I forgot. Actually, forgot oh, the name. Okay. No, it reminded me of that film. <laughs> Samuel Jackson. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, but this 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 film called Cold Pursuit. Um, in terms of in terms of in terms of like the intensity is is do you know what? I, can't, I can't say much because it's all the same mm. just, do you know what I, I mean like it's the same every single film of Liam Neeson exactly. for me personally that I've watched it just seems like a rehash of like the there, same there was free concept over and over again yeah. um, there's not much uh differentiation between the movies. He's the same character he in each role. the same sort of character. You can tell that it caters to him as an actor. Exactly. And um, I'm I'm not overly interested in this movie, if I'm honest. Yeah. I know we're supposed to be unbiased, but I'm not really a big big on action films. But um, mm. I think I think from the trailer, if you do like action films, there is enough to enjoy in terms of, of the action sequences. Um, so, Hema, I mean, are you interested in these sort of films? I mean, sadly I am. I do love <laughs> action films but I think this film I will give a miss yeah, um, yeah, for yeah. reasons I'm sure you will develop but um, yeah no I do I, I'm, I'm quite quite up for a good chase and a good um, yeah I'm, a bit I'm of just, like I'm violence just, every time I watch this film I just I just think back to Taken I'm just like what, how many Takens are we going to have <laughs> yeah, to be I mean? fair I haven't actually watched any of him oh, really? take, I don't think I've watched <laughs> it because I think the premise as you say is quite boring yeah, I'm yeah, like well, so I know what you're going to do you're going to go he find made, there's three Takens yeah that's yeah. <laughs> one me. time the first time his daughter got taken the second time his wife got taken the first I don't know what the third time is. I never watched I the third one. Is this the third time? You're like, mate, you need to learn your lesson. I watched the first There's one. I was actually... like, this is okay. The second one was like, this yeah, is yeah. really poor. It's just the same film <laughs> the same again. Film. I was like, I'm not watching That's Taken the thing. Three. If it had a twist or something, that'd be yeah, okay. Yeah. But... They actually made a series called Taken. Okay. Based on extra. Taken. Yeah, they've made a series. Oh my God, oh, I yeah, see. Yeah, like a TV series. It's called Taken. It's not with Liam. I don't think it was with Liam Neeson. It was someone else. But to be honest, I feel that a lot of these uh, TV series now are made to sort of uh, feed off of the popularity of some of these films mm. that at the cinema they may do decent at the box office so these series are like okay we can maybe benefit from making something uh, on the small screen as yeah. they call it. Um, it I feel there's a there's one specific film franchise called The Purge um, I know it's a bit off topic but I felt I'd mention it for one reason in particular and The Purge is basically about a night where the government stopped um, say controlling the country, isn't it? Um, the, you might have seen it. You can explain it a bit better than me because I haven't watched it for a specific reason. So well, the purge is, is basically what they've decided is one. They've taken one night out of the year, yeah, where um, every law, like every 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 um, illegal activity, is allowed. Yeah, and uh, the reason why I mention this is because I think it's disgusting that we live in a time where people feel so comfortable with making content like this. Yeah. I mean, this literally glorifies the concept of being violent, uh, mm -hmm. murder, and uh, without a, a lawless society, in essence. Um, and they've made a TV series based off of that now as well. Oh, wow. um, and we live in, a, I just feel like the time we live in, it's such desensitized content that people just literally aren't focused on the negative impacts mm -hmm. of this sort of consumption for yeah. young people. Mm -hmm. Sorry yeah. guys for that tangent. I just felt impelled to, um, I felt really impelled to mention mm. the nature of content that we watched today to go hand in hand with our discussions mm. earlier, um, earlier, around, huh? earlier <laughs> on regarding stereotypes and stigmatization, but mm. also more to do with desensitization, which is what I think a lot of our issues stem from. Mm. Um, and uh, I just feel it's important for us to remind the youth of the positive things that they can be involved yeah. in and the positive things they can be doing rather than being uh, just someone who's consuming all of this mm. negativity from from the from mm. the media mm. yeah um i feel like know. i feel like the i didn't just add on to that story um i feel like the moral of the story is liam neeson like make some better films <laughs> like you need to make some better films you need, you need to make some better films you need, you need some to be substance you know what I mean like I don't need taking 28 like I, I don't need that in my life right now even more importantly than that Suhaima touched on something earlier on about 
um, a discussion regarding Liam Neeson. And it's very interesting that in an interview leading up to this film, Cold Pursuit, yeah. he actually made some very ridiculous remarks. Yeah. Moving on to this right now, my We're bro. moving on we're to this. this yeah? uh, I think we need to. I, and you are listening to the Outspoken Podcast and we're going to combine the two right here, Content Junkie and what's happening. So now, wow. tell us what's happening. What is happening, guys? So linking onto the Cold Pursuit, Liam Neeson, yeah, during the week of the release, it was the release of the it was released for Cold Pursuit, right? It was for the premiere, the premiere, sorry, the premiere, the premiere yeah. of Cold Pursuit. My bad. He made some uh, very racist comments. Yeah, yeah I'm just gonna say racist really comments. And um, for example, one of the one of the comments he actually made, which um, was. Uh, I think something happened like something happened to a certain someone yeah. I think that he's uh, like a friend of his friend of it yeah something happened to his friend a friend of a friend of his and he literally said so I went out in anger to go kill uh, uh, to go kill a black person basically mm-hmm. yeah so he left and bec- because of that situation happened to his friend yeah the thing that happened to his friend was b- a black person had yeah. done it so he was like yeah. therefore therefore I'm I gonna go kill, kill Anyone, but Any anyone black that's, that's no, black. it was anyone that's black, and yeah. and the ridiculous nature of his comments is that he mentioned if it had been someone of a and from another place where the actual person is unrecognizable in terms of their skin color, mm. he would have done the same thing, which is just stupid. Is because how so I'm trying to think of the places he mentioned, he mentioned a couple of different uh places. Uh, I think one was uh, it's like maybe Russian or something like that, um, or Lithuania or something where you can't really well, tell. So he was saying, like, if he, this had he happened, was saying, if it was a person from that place, I would have done the same thing, but it's like that's even wilder. <laughs> it was like how is that so even, understand. How, is that, how, how is that even possible when you wouldn't be able to tell yeah. well with a black person you can tell yeah he's trying to pretend it's not a racist yeah, it's trope yeah, yeah the fact that it was a racist remark and it's been it's had a lot of different opinions and different uh, responses from people within within the celebrity world or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. um, some people have actually supported him and said oh it was very brave of him and other people have said he's absolutely <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, some, wait, 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 I'm dead serious some people no. that he's brave for saying that's brave it. I think even John so, Barnes commended him for nah, it man. are you serious player John Barnes commended him for no, it man, and while other people is... are saying it's racist that, which that is, is what it is, no, <laughs> but that is I don't know how you can commend someone for saying I would go out and I wanted to murder a black person that because, is not right man. because a black person did something to somebody that I love it's absolutely well I think he was disgusting. also I think he was also getting commended because he apologised right and he was like oh I said, I said it a long time ago da 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 so some people were like that's amazing that you've apologized, <laughs> you know. And some people yeah, were like, "That's, that's, that's what we yeah, did. that's you what know, we did. Thank this is you. the thing." Oh my goodness! If if if, if apologizing was easy, then everyone's problems would be resolved, mm-hmm, wouldn't mm-hmm. they? This is the mean? thing, like, because some people get to just apologize and it's done, and they can carry on with their lives. Yeah. But there's other people, people of color, when they do something, it gets if they apologize, that's not that is way not yeah, enough. Yeah. But we it don't have that same standard they, until they die. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like this kind of stuff gets hold to people and it catches people. People can't get like if if something happens, if something if one person does one thing, yeah, like. Like their life is destroyed. Mm. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? Exactly. Even, they even, hold them to it, don't yeah, they? Yeah, but even going back to like um uh sorry sorry for going of attention, but like going back to the whole terrorism situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's attaching I mean. terrorists to Muslim and yeah. you're Muslim, you can't get a job sometimes. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's unlikely for you to get to, to get a job. It's unlikely for you to go to places that are um that that attach that specific word to you and not even like it doesn't have to be Muslim they attach it so like for example they attach it to like just Asians do you know what I mean yeah. they attach it to like he's, he's Pakistani yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, must be one, he must be one of the yeah. Muslims mm. they don't even know you yeah do you know what I mean and that's it, it, it all goes back to that so I feel like he, he, he because he's, he said this and people are, and people are realizing look this what he said is isn't right mm. you shouldn't agree with it and he you should be held accountable for what you, exactly. you you've said you can't just say you can't and you, you you're he's in cold pursuit <laughs> like I, now I understand the whole term he's on cold pursuit he's going out to find someone oh god yeah this, 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 this oh, is, I, I, I guess this is where the concept comes 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 from isn't it because he went out 
in in, in anger to kill yeah, yeah. and he he said it himself I went out to kill a black person well mm. that's why he brought up the story isn't it because mm. of what his film is about right. but I mean to clarify it's, potenti- it's potentially possible that um, John Barnes was referring to the, commending him on the fact that he apologised mm. like you mentioned but mm. even with that being said mm. it's ridiculous that he felt comfortable enough to make those remarks public in the first place yeah. to even have to deliver that apology. I think that's the key point right is that like because I think a lot of media outlets are trying to be like oh my god he's so racist that's wild but it's like actually guys you also dehumanise black men all the time exactly. and this is a history of particularly the trope of like black man rapes white woman therefore should be killed that's what the history yes, of lynching yes. in America is yeah. and you're like you can't you can't just pretend that the media have nothing to do with dehumanising and you were saying like we see images of black people being killed all the time we're desensitised that we don't care yeah. but it's like everyone wants to go Liam Neeson's the odd one out why is he saying that it's like yeah, guys because yeah. you all say it yeah, all the time exactly. and as you say it's because he felt comfortable to say yeah. it and you, with you just saying what you just said I have to bring up one amazing absolutely epic advertisement that I had seen recently um, and it's similar in the sense that it's related to war-torn countries mm-hmm. so not necessarily black people in this regard but it's related to people of colour in mm. war-torn countries. And in this advert, the protagonist is a young girl who is white. And it mm. deals with what it would be like if these things that are happening abroad came and happened in mm. the UK. I think I've seen that. And I think when I saw it, I was blown away. Mm. I was so moved. This video went viral. It's got millions of views. And it's unsurprising, um, not surprising that it does so because it's it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And it gives us an opportunity, I think, for people that are so ignorant or, or negligent towards these issues mm. to actually stop and say, okay, wow, like... That's deep. If it did happen here, how would we react? Mm-hmm. How would we deal with it? Because on a daily basis, we get on with what we're doing and yeah. act like it is not happening abroad. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was amazing. I had to bring mm. that up. No, that's a good point <laughs> because because what if Liam Neeson was a black Muslim and he had said, uh, something happens to my friend, I went out and tried to kill any white man. Yeah. You'd be arrested instantly. Exactly. You can't say that. Exactly. You can't say Just that. Like that. Oh, yeah. The double standards is absolutely, crazy, absolutely crazy. sickening at times to be correct. Have you, do you guys know about the dull the dough test the dough test. test oh yes I know exactly you know what, what you're talking about, about. Yeah, um, in, in the 1940s mm. the USA did a test when it came to um, when it came to uh, ethnic minorities mm. yeah when it came I to ethnic minorities so they got kids now in this test they got kids to basically see two dolls one's a black oh, doll dolls, one's a white doll yeah, yeah they got two different dolls and they would ask them specific questions like uh, which one's the white doll mm. this one which one's the black doll this one now which one's the nice doll yeah. and the kids the wait because like this, this is why I hate because this is how the media has has, has affected our young our, mm-hmm. our young people is that through through imagery through these cartoons mm-hmm. through the cartoons through cartoons through the news and all the kind of stuff mm-hmm. the way they've depicted mm-hmm. these people like for example like like going back to what Liam, like Liam's all blacks are violent so what so mm-hmm. when the, I asked him a specific question which which actually like hit hit me straight here and I was like which one is the bad doll mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. The kids point at the the black doll, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. crazy." Yeah, but you're right. It's not just the media as well. Though. It's like subconscious messaging from the moment you were born in yeah, terms exactly. of like who you see who gets certain benefits, who gets treated in a certain way. And I remember somebody who I've got a friend who teaches at a nursery, and she was saying that on uh, one of the first days, like all the kids coming in, and this young little like three years old. How old are you when you go to nursery? Like three. Mm. Um, little black boy comes in, and the teacher instantly goes. Oh, I can tell this one's going to be trouble. Mm. You know, that's so interesting that mm. to a three-year-old, you've already attached you already what it. his, you've like given a wow. whole life trajectory. You've yeah, gone, yeah. I know exactly who you are yeah. based on nothing. And you're like, that's, you know, that's not even that the media. Horrible, that's just people. That's, that's just everyone's internalized yeah. it. Just, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, sorry, it's a bit down. No, no, it's it's, it's fine because it's it's just something that when you hear these things, you just need to ponder, take a moment Mm. to just ponder and digest Mm. the way society is Mm -hmm. and how much needs to be done for us to work together to to change this way of thinking. Definitely. Mm. Do you know, uh, I remember, I thought this lady's name, it's like she's a doctor and she basically does this whole test where she's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about, Liam? Where she switches, where she basically takes a group of um, ethnic minorities and a group of white people mm-hmm. and she gives the ethnic minorities certain rights. No, so she splits it on blue eyes and brown eyes. Oh, yeah, right? blue eyes and brown eyes. She that's goes, it, that's you it, that's get it, in groups it. based on if your eyes are blue that's or brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, you're, if you have blue eyes, you can't stand up. You can't, like, you have all mm. these disadvantages. And she's like, 
how does that feel? Isn't that wild? And that's what racism is. And everyone's like, she also does this. Have you seen the clip where she goes, all the white people in this room, I want you to uh, put your hand up if you would be okay to be treated as the black citizens in this country are treated. Yeah. And nobody puts their hand up. And she's yeah. like, sorry, you didn't understand. Put your hand up if you are okay to be treated. If tomorrow you'd wake up and be okay being black. And no one does. And she says, that means you know exactly what is going on in this country. And exactly. you know exactly that you exactly. are benefiting. Who is this lady? I forgot what she's called. Oh, I'd love to check that. Yeah. She's, she's absolutely amazing, man. Yeah, we have to. Yeah, it sounds really, really interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd like she to does. She does a lot of these tests. She's man. very hard. She gets a, a whole group of people, like when, when it came to like their just their rights on specific yeah, things. Yeah. And when I was watching that, because they got the yeah the brown eyes, the white yeah, and, yeah. The, and the blue eyes, and they switched it. Yeah. So they got like they got like <clears throat> for example, I think it was the was one way she did with food. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I think, if, if I remember correctly, um, they got some sort of type of food, mm, like better, food. and yeah, got basically the better food, and they and the other people got another set of food, yeah. which is like decent, like a couple sandwiches and stuff. Yeah. So she's basically swapped. She basically gave those like certain um, uh, what's the variables to them, mm. and said and said, look, that's that's what you get. Yeah. And one, and then the way the test work, the way the test work is like some of them, some of the white, some of the um, blue eyed people. Yeah. Yeah. They will go. They went mad. They went. Yeah. They were like, they were no, I want. I want that food yeah. <laughs> or something like that they were, <laughs> they were mad they were like yeah. no you can't treat me like this yeah. and then they, wow. they, they, they should like but I think there's a bit where she says like this is literally a game and you can't handle it now yeah, imagine exactly. if in the real world yeah. you're a person of colour like you can't yeah how yeah, dare I, you get well, she's absolutely amazing man because she goes and she goes straight to them and she's like this is how they feel yeah it's really intense now you know they're proper intense some of them are crying <laughs> yeah they are they're crying yeah? I need to see said, this is how they feel every this. single day and mm. they're not crying this is how they feel this is the thing yeah after this podcast you better send me I'm going to send you don't worry I need to watch these videos you I need to watch these videos before we move on, I wanted to ask you about another book that mm, you've had some yeah. involvement in. You have written your own with some friends, A Fly Girl's Guide to University. I'm going to plug it again because <laughs> I want you guys to support Suhaima and her you. friends and purchase this book. Um, but also on the table, A mm. Virtue of Disobedience. Yes. You have a poem featured at the start of this, this book. And yeah. this is someone who is a very well-spoken, well-known individual. Mm, and he's decided mm. to include your poem in his book. Yes. How'd that make you feel? Yeah. So basically, actually, it was, it was pretty cool because when I did the poem I did at the Roundhouse that I told you guys about, Asim got in touch with me. He, I remember he sent me a really lovely message and he just said... I'm really annoyed because I've been trying to write a book for three months and you in three minutes have just said what I was trying to say in that book. <laughs> Which was obviously very generous of him. But he said, he said, so he said, I would love to commission you to write a poem for this book. So I got to read the book and honestly, it was easy to write a poem. When you read, when you read a book, you know, sometimes you read something, you're like, that yeah, is, this is it. This is yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. so easy to write about because it's so inspiring. And I, I had never read something where he uses the, like he uses Islam and as a, he's like, we, you have to fight for justice if you're a Muslim. Like there's no, it doesn't make sense. And he's like, you can't just, it's based, I think at the beginning, he says like he went to um, like a sermon with his um, sons and the imam, like the leader was saying, um, you know, you must obey the laws of the country that you're in, you know, yeah. be obedient, da, da, da. And he was like, hang on, because if you place obedience above justice then you're going to start following all sorts of unjust rules and laws. And so this is a really, really cool, I think really um politically exciting quite revolutionary um book that he put forward and yeah so writing the poem for that was like i felt very honored because mm -hmm. i i really um respected the argument a lot and it really inspired me to be honest I, I try and try and think about it a lot in in what i do and try and think about where my intentions are coming from and what i'm doing but yeah i, I really recommend that if you if you want to think about how to to be an activist you can pick up a flag girl's guide to university and the virtue of disobedience now and enjoy some content through from suhaima wait you know, every who's episode, messing with words Every episode we have, I mess up something. Every episode is that. That's good. That's trademark now. That's good. I mess up something. He's, he's a grammar Nazi though. <laughs> I, I, I get so frustrated even if I spell something wrong. Like, really? Like five he, minutes he ago got, and I realise I'm like, no. Oh, uh, no, no he he so got angry at me one time because I messaged him. I didn't put a full stop at the end. Oh, wow. Oh, now I'm just like reflecting on the text that I might have sent you. being like, here. Yeah. <laughs> I really get angry. I can't You're like, now you need to put a full stop there. And I was like, what? <laughs> wow. Okay. Well, like, well, like, Noted. Well, like, no, it's, it's it's not it's not you. Yeah, I'll put like uh, you are basically. I'll yeah. forget like the. Uh, oh no! I did that. That's what I said. I was yeah, like, yeah. see you in a few. Like, see you. Oh no! I'm you forget the little extra. That's what I'm just. <laughs> extra. That's what I'm and you just, just be like, no name. It's spelled like this. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and he comes on. Now he comes on the podcast. He messes up like eight words. I'm like, yo, that's. that's you know how many times somebody will correct me right, and then a minute later make a mistake themselves, and I'm like. 
why did you correct me? Oh, and then you're going to go and write like that immediately work. afterwards. Are you taking the mic? That's funny. <laughs> I like, at least I'm consistent with the way I write. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> you are listening to the Outspoken Podcast, people, and we want to finish with something beneficial. So we're going to ask Suhaima if she has any advice for our listeners. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, advice. I think something that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment is um, gut feeling. Mm. And my advice at the moment is listen to your gut feeling because I think gut feeling is actually something a lot deeper. And I think it is often like this this place in which you are going to make the right decisions. And I think so often we don't follow the gut feeling because we're in a context where society tells us do this. This is what is beneficial. This is what will get you clout. This is what will, you know, and there's all these other incentives. Yeah. But actually, I think gut feeling at the end of the day is the thing that will keep you true to to a very good moral baseline. Yeah. Um, and I think and with that comes just checking your intentions all the time with everything you're doing because I think we really live at a time particularly with social media I mean my phone broke recently been the most liberating thing because I can't access any of my social media and actually what I found is that when I'm doing things I'm not thinking oh because I can put that on my story oh yeah because I'll tweet about that I'm just yeah. doing it and it actually means my intentions are so much more present and so much more genuine yeah. um, and I think social media really is it can skew with us and like skew our ideas of what what valuable is and what good is um, so I really think just check in with yourself check in with what you're doing and why you're doing it ask that question why am I doing it mm. because you could spend you could waste your life doing things for the sake of other people to impress other people um, and I really think instead if you ground it in what you need and what you want and what is right you will end up living a more fulfilling life for yourself and for everybody else yeah, yeah. I don't really have anything as good I don't think actually I've got something I've got something for you yeah Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. If you want others to believe in you, then you have to believe in yourself first. Mm-hmm. Keep striving with sincerity for what it is you want. And if it's good for you, I'm sure it will come. Thank you so much, Sahema, for joining us on the Outspoken Podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure yeah, and excellent pleasure. discussion. Uh, we can't wait for the next episode already. We're always looking forward to seeing who we can communicate with next (laughs) (laughs) so guys thank you so much for joining us in the Outspoken Podcast I am your host Annotate and I am your co-host Just Naeem guys take care and have a good week I love you guys come back again (laughs) I'm gonna miss you (laughs)